Thank you, Brand. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be uh, taking a journey. How many of you have ever been on a journey? And as our children go to children's church, uh, have a great journey to a great time of studying God's Word. How many of you ever travel a little bit? Uh, some of you uh, describe that as being on a road trip. And if you've ever been on a journey and been into another land that speaks a different language, you recognize not only do you need to make sure you do the right things in that foreign land, but you better say the right things as well. And I have had an opportunity to be in a couple of places where I've had opportunity to preach and it wasn't my native tongue. And so as I would preach or speak, uh, someone else would translate it into their own language. And whenever you have that experience, you're always wondering, what are they saying when I'm saying what I think I'm saying? And I, I was reading a story this past week that kind of struck a, a familiar theme in some ways. But it says that a visiting American textile buyer took a long but amusing uh, time to tell an anecdote at a luncheon in, in Seoul, Korea. The translator repeated it to the group in just a few words, and the audience laughed and applauded. Later, the textile buyer commented to the translator, I think it was wonderful the way you appreciated my joke. It's amazing how you were able to shorten it in Korean. And the interpreter replied, not at all. I merely said, man with big checkbook has told funny story. Do what you think is appropriate. (laughs) Uh, that's, one, that's a way to get a laugh. Uh, you get some money out of it. And, and as you think about that, as you go on a journey, you go on a trip, as you um, travel in a particular place, you want to make sure you're, you're taking the right journey, you're doing the right travel and making the right trip. Well, as you think about what God has for us in this life, as we prepare for the life that he has prepared for those who know him and put their faith in him, is he wants us to be on a journey with him. He, he wants us to live life connected uh, to the living God. And basically what we have here in the book of Genesis is really a story about people's journey with God. In fact, actually, in fact, interestingly enough, this story about other people's journey with God was written by a person who was on a journey. Uh, Moses, as as best we understand, uh, wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He was on a journey. He was uh, on exit from... Ex, uh, uh, from the land of Egypt, and we have that book of Exodus that describes that. But basically what he did is he wrote back for the people who were in faith to find out where, where did their faith come from? Where was the foundation of faith? What did, what did God do in the very beginning? And, and they had heard some stories about this through, through, through oral tradition, but, but God inspired Moses to write down the words that would describe for them and for us what it means to take a walk with God. And hopefully, as we've been going through this beginnings book, you understand that how they were challenged to live for God then are the same challenges that we live through as well today. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 29, and we're, we're going to look at the journey as the journey continue, continues. And particularly, we're looking at an individual now named Jacob as he goes through the the struggles of knowing God and walking with God and doing those things that please God. And hopefully as you come today, whether you're still wondering whether you want to get on that journey or whether you've made that first step, uh, these are lessons for life that, that God says, if you'll if you live according to my plan, then you'll experience life to its fullest because I'm the creator of life, I'm the giver of life, and you'll understand what it means to connect with me. And as we think about this journey... Every journey begins with a first step. And so as we think about that, I want to focus, and these are just points uh, to hang this passage on, is that we take the, the right journey. We want to make sure we're, we're doing it right. 
And since every step begins with the, the very first step, or every journey begins with the first step, let's review a little bit from what we saw last week. As we walk with God, as we try to live with Him and relate with Him, we need to get it right with God first. When you all say that, that sounds, that sounds pretty obvious, isn't it? But so often we forget that. You know, just even thinking devotionally. How do you begin each day? As you crawl out of bed or you fall out of bed or that alarm sends you out of bed, you know, do you begin that day focusing, I want to live this, this day, first of all, right with Him so I do the right things that please Him in the right way. And as we see Jacob, Jacob is kind of sent out by necessity from the land he always knew where he had always been. And he was now going to a place in which the adventure would continue in ways he couldn't even imagine. And as he leaves, initially it appears that he's not that right with God. And as we think about getting right with God, there's a kind of a two-way street going on here and we can't fully understand it. But God is doing his thing, and then it requires us to respond. And if you remember that, we, we had the experience of, of God revealing himself to Jacob in, in Jacob's dream of that great ladder from heaven. And then as he encounters that, he responds to it. And I just want to look at that passage real, real briefly. Genesis chapter 28, uh, beginning with verse uh, 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Well, I won't preach on that point for a moment. Okay. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Later on, that same passage, he gives a name to that place, which was normally called Luz, and now he calls it Bethel. Beth mean house, El mean God. It was the house of God. And here was a place where, where God revealed himself to Jacob. And Jacob responds and he recognized, I, I had no idea that this is the place where God is. And, and we need to understand as, as God unfolds all of his revelation to us is that there is no place where God is not. But there are places at times where God touches down and reveals himself in a much fuller and greater way. Where we recognize that there is an awesome God and we must respond to him. And it's interesting in the text, he responds in recognizing the glory of God. But he responds in his heart also with fear. And as we think about the God, God calling us to faith, part of that faith is calling us to fear him which makes us understand that we are accountable to God, that he is the one who is sovereign. He is the one in in charge and that we are to bow our knee before him. And so as we think about our journey and the journey that continues, we want to be a people that recognize that this is the place where God is. Not, Not this building. This is a place where we gather together as God's people to worship him. But that wherever we go, God goes with us. And then we recognize that, that we are to respond in, in him, to him in a way that pleases him. The New Testament is full of that same challenge. In Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Who's first in our life? In Colossians 1.18, speaking to the church, but then speaking to us collectively as well as individually. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And that's so important for us to think about getting the right things right and getting on that right journey and getting it right with God first, is that when we talk about getting God first in our life, it's just not in our religious life. It's not just when we're around doing things like we do today or sometimes in our life group. And I hope you're in a life group because that's a, that's a place where you grow deeper in your faith and in a relationship to one another. But it's, it's, it's every hour of every day. It's everything that we encounter, that we don't compartmentalize our life that, okay, here's my life with God and here's my life at work and here's my life at home. Here's my life at school. Here's my life with my friends. Here's my life when I entertain or whatever it might be, that, that God is part of all that we do, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And as Jacob began that journey from that place where he was so familiar with to a place he knew nothing about, God rattled his cage, revealed himself to him, and he responded. He responded in faith, he responded in fear, he responded in commitment. That was the message of Moses as they were out from the wilderness and they'd had a detour because they had been disobedient to God. He said, I want you to understand that as we're on this journey, what God wants to teach us is that we need to get it right with him before the next step comes. But as Jacob encounters God, and we don't know how long he stayed there. Sometimes if you've ever had an experience where you've maybe been to a camp and we're going to have a group of people go to our, to our couples retreat this weekend, or, or maybe you've had some uh, spiritual experience uh, with some concert or whatever, whatever touched your heart. You kind of want to linger there, don't you? You just want to stay there. But he knew that, that God's plan for his life was not to stay on the mountaintop, was to continue the journey. And this journey took a while. It was a matter of weeks, maybe months before he traveled that 400 miles on that camel or I don't know how much he walked, how many, what kind of terrain it was. But basically, he went from Palestine into northern Syria, Syria, a little bit eastward from there. And then it says in, in Genesis chapter 29, verse 1, So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. It's interesting that word journey really means uh, lift, he lifted up his feet. Have you ever been with somebody and you're kind of you're kind of been a little slower than the other person? They say, Will you pick up your feet? Well, you didn't have to tell uh, Jacob that because he had lifted up his feet and he was headed to the place where God wanted him to be. But when he got to the land, the land um, of his forefathers, it was a rather large geographical area. And sometimes when you're going the right place, once you get close to where you're supposed to be, you're not really sure is this is this the spot. And if we want to broaden a little bit, even, even as it relates to God's will for your life in a variety of areas, I know I mean, I'm going in the right direction, but am I exactly where I need to be? Well, make me, let, me, uh, <laughs> let me just make some simple observations here. Not only taking the right journey right begins with getting it right with God first. Secondly, make sure you're in the right place with the right people. Well, how do you know if, that's, if you're in the right place with the right people? Can I put it very simply? Ask the right questions. He got there. Look at Genesis chapter 29. He comes to a place where uh, people are feeding their flocks. Uh, they're, they're watering their flocks or about to prepare, prepare to water their flocks. And then in verse 4 it says this, and Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said to him, we are from Haran. 
And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. So he said to them, is it well? And he said, they said, to him, he is well. And look, his daughter, Rachel, is coming with a sheep. You know, tell, tell it from, you know, let me tell you from a person who often is in a place where he's not sure where he's at. Okay. When you're not sure where you're at, then humble yourself and ask some questions. You know, discover from somebody else maybe what your next step is. Can I make another plea for life groups? The reason we have life groups is, is you know, we, we preach on Sunday morning and teach you the Word of God, but we want you in an environment where you're praying with someone, you're talking with others, you're, you're talking about life and see how does God's Word apply to where you live. And, and whether it's a physical direction you're going, you need to ask for directions, or whether it's a spiritual path you've got to go down, you don't do it alone. We all need spiritual mentors. We all need spiritual partners. We all need people that we can ask, will you pray for me? I've got an important decision to make. And as Jacob was going to a place, he had no idea what it would be like. Once he got there, he asked some questions. And then after he asked some questions, and this is a very simple point I want to make this morning, then he did some right things. Uh, he finds out that this is, this is the place of, of direction that his father Isaac had given him. And then, and then it goes on, verse 7. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. And they have pulled the stone from the well's mouth when we water the sheep. So basically, he's having some conversation with these lads. And basically, they're probably teenagers, teenagers who are the shepherds. And they're to water the sheep. But as he sees Rachel in the, in the distance... Probably what he wants, he wants to spend some alone time with it. He wants them to water their flocks, take off. Uh, they didn't like that idea. And Rachel comes on the scene, verse 9. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. In that day, basically, the men did not tend the sheep. They either had their teenage sons or sometimes their, their young daughters to do it as well. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, what, 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 was, what was Jacob going to this land for? He was looking for a wife, right? And if you're going to look for a wife, you want to make sure you're looking in the right places. So he asks the right questions. Is this a place where maybe uh, my family tree uh, 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 is around? And so he finds in the right place. But once he's got the right place there, now he's got to encounter the person. And, and guys, let me just say, if, if you're looking for a life partner, you don't just stand back passively. All right. You got to do something. You got to do something to impress that gal. And so what she comes up and that watering hole was was one that was covered by a stone. And one of the reasons probably those young lads weren't watering the flocks because that stone was a large stone. And it usually meant there need to be quite a few teenagers to move that stone away. Now, Jacob, at this point, is a little older in age, but I guess he's a little buff or whatever it might be. So he goes for that one, and he takes that stone all by himself, rolls it away, and then instead of allowing Rachel to do her work, she, he does her work for him. Now, would that impress you gals if that somebody did that? Okay, did your work for you? All right. Well, that's what happened. And so she, he gets Rachel's attention. In fact, not only does he get attention by what he did there, then he shows a little affection. I don't know if you do this on the first date, but verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. 
And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and he was Rebecca's son. And he ran, she ran and told her father. Amen. All right. So lay one, so lay one on that gal. No, okay. All right. All right. Don't take this too. It was a holy kiss. All right. He showed some emotion. He was, he was in touch with his, his, uh, his masculine side and moved that stone and then he wept. He saw, he saw his tender heart. All right. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob was on a journey, right? And, and that journey was very specific. He was to go there to find a life partner. And when he got there, he asked the right questions, and then he did the right things. And then we see the experience of, of meeting um, Laban. Verse 13, now it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. That was probably a holy kiss, all right? And brought him to the house. So he told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Now, basically what we have here is that Jacob discovers Laban, who was probably the brother of, of his mom, Rebecca, and uh, they make a connection. Now, it's quite possible here. It says in the text that he told Laban all these things, and all these things possibly is the story that had already happened. And quite possible that once he got into it, he might have even told him all the things he had done to, to get Esau's birthright. He did all the things he saw to get the blessing from uh, his father Isaac. And maybe he was kind of trying to impress Laban just how, how uh, crafty he was and how he was able to uh, orchestrate his, his direction in life. But, you know, it's quite possible if he did that, what he did is he sowed the seeds of what Laban was going to do to him in the future. And, and sometimes when we've messed up in the past, there might be a time where we might share that with others to, to relate with them and connect with them. But we've got to be very careful about boasting about sins in the past. Because sometimes when you hear people's testimonies, they almost sound proud about the things they've done in the past. And we ought to be brokenhearted about the things in the past that have broken the heart of God. Well, Laban has a relationship with Jacob, and we're going to kind of go through the story. And as Jacob's there for a month, uh, he comes to the point, he says, well, you know, <laughs> you're, you're kind of like family here, but I'm kind of taking advantage of you. Uh, I ought to pay you for all the work you're doing around here for the last month. And Laban says, well, okay, um, why don't you set the price? Why don't you tell me how much you think uh, I ought to give you for working here? And we already know that Jacob has kind of caught Rachel's eye, and it's quite possible Rachel now looks at Jacob the same way in terms of, of this could be a life partner. And he said, how about if I work for you and working for you, then you'll give me your, uh, your daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, well, okay, how about, how about um, as they come to that conversation, they say, well, how about doing it for seven years? Now, in those days, basically, there was a dowry given. Sometimes it was the, 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 the lady to the man, and sometimes the man to the lady, but particularly or the, the household of the, of, the, of the family. But in this particular case, it was going to be a dowry that, that Jacob was going to give to Laban. Now, the reason they would do a dowry is because sometimes the... The father of the bride says, I'm not sure if this is a, a good match for my, my child. And so I want to make sure that he can provide for that family. So let's see what he, what he can do to show that he has the means to provide for this new family he wants to begin. Now, in most cases, that was basically a rather hefty fee. It was maybe up to a year's wages that you would give the family. But here is multiplied by seven. 
seven years of, of, of wages as a dowry for the, the love of his life. Now, interesting about that, though, and here's the other point I want to make, is that know that when you're with the right person, it doesn't matter how hard life might be. Look at the text here. In verse 18, it says, Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. So he was very open to, to give seven years of life to get his life partner. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And then listen to this. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Now, that, that, is, that, is, a pretty, that is a pretty huge statement about how much um, Jacob cared about Rachel. And I put it this way again. Know that when you are with the right person, it doesn't matter how hard life might be. And I was thinking, well, you know, that, that sounds like something in some fairy tale, doesn't it? Uh, that is, it doesn't. It, how does that work? I mean, particularly as I work with families a lot, and that's not exactly the description I would use often in people's relationships with one another. And I said, well, how, how, could we, how could we impart that to every, every married couple? That they loved each other so much that time just seemed to, what, fly. I mean, it was just like, I, I can't get enough of spending time with my life partner. You know how we normally mess it up? And, and let me just read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says this to the husbands, the men, kind of taking Jacob's example here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So often, our relationships with our spouses aren't what they could be because our focus is not how much we love them, but how much we think they what? Love us. And when we, when we kind of get off in our relationship with God, we, we want to sometimes conjure up the love that we might have for the the, the, the Savior who came for us. And, and we try to somehow m- manipulate our emotions or our commitment. But you know what our focus needs to be? It, is realizing how much He loves us. And, and as we think about, you know, our spouse and wondering, well, wh- why aren't they loving us the way we want them to love? We need to take a step back is that we're called to produce that love out of them. And we are to love them deeply. And when we love someone deeply, and that's how Jesus does it, that's how we respond back to him in love. The passage in the New Testament that, that strikes me harder than anything else is the passage where, where Jesus is, is with a man and he comes into his house and there's no, there's no greeting. There's no service to him in terms of oil for his head and washing of his feet. And then there's this woman that comes who is in the community known as a great sinner. And she pours all this love on Jesus. And he shocks. She shocks the woman, the man whom Jesus was in the home with. And Jesus made this statement. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. But he who has been forgiven much, 
loves much. And when we understand how much God loves us, our response will be back in total commitment of love to Him. And the reason Rachel was so enamored with Jacob was because how much Jacob loved her. But the story in Genesis chapter 29 and 30 in which the journey continues is one now where where we see some things happening when we're doing everything that we think is right. And, And that happens, doesn't it? Even if you try your best to do things right, don't be surprised by things still going wrong. But realize even in this, if things going wrong, God is still in control. Because after, a, after that commitment of, of Laban to give Rachel, the beloved of Jacob, to him, uh, there's deception that happens. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And so the seven years were up. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Jacob gave his maid Zilpah to the daughter, and Leah as, as his maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And you haven't picked up the, the story just as I read it. Is As the night of their, their wedding, and if they have a week-long feast celebrating this, this, this bringing of two lives together, when they were to consummate the marriage, what happens is Laban dresses up Leah to look like Rachel. And in the darkness of that tent, Leah comes in. They consummate the marriage. And when he wakes up in the morning, it's not Rachel, but it's her sister. Now, there's a lot of ways we can look at it. We can look at the deception of Laban. We're going to see Laban's uh, deceiving ways. Uh, we, could, we could look at, and we'll see for a little bit as far as how, you know, payback, how basically this mirrors the sin of Jacob as he did that to Esau and to his father Isaac. But, you know, some, sometimes I look at this and I think, just how about the stupidity? You know, uh, in your outline this morning, I said, consider this. Uh, be sure you look under the hood or veil before you buy, all right? I mean, how did this happen? Now, uh, there could be a variety of things why they have it. It was dark in the tent. Okay, it's quite possible Leah and Rachel were approximately the same size and stature. Uh, Laban might have picked up some uh, ideas from Jacob as he, as he might have told the story of how he deceived his father Isaac and dressed like him, uh, smelled like him, and he put on the perfume, the, the, fa- the favorite fragrances of, of Rachel. It's quite possible in that day, as we know, if, you, if you've ever tr- took an, taken a journey or, or a trip or a travel to the Middle East, uh, often the very conservative women over there will have veils and they're covered quite a bit and you don't see a whole lot. It's interesting, even as you describe, if, you look, if you've read the text, where it describes Leah as, one, as, as, a, as a woman with weak eyes, if you've read that text. Now, some people take weak eyes there as possibly she, she uh, was poor of sight, she needed glasses. Uh, but some say it's quite possible what it is. It's a description of, of one of the things in that, in that day that marked beauty, and it was the eyes. If, you, if, if, mu- if most of you were covered, you know, what would you look at to, to show attraction? And it's quite possible she had those deep, dark, beautiful eyes that just struck people when they saw her. Uh, but whatever it might have been is, as 
as Jacob encountered Leah, you would have thought, did you have any conversation? Did you, did you, did you make sure that it was her? Now, as amazing as that, as that mistake was, isn't that what happens to us? You know, most bad decisions, when we look back, are, are decisions that could have been prevented. If we had just stopped and not been so impulsive, if we weren't so much in a rush, and maybe this is the, the very simple thing, if we had just prayed about what we did before we what? Before we did it. Most things that happen that are wrong happen because we don't consult God before we do it. And it's also quite possible, and just looking at the store and now looking between at the white lines, not the black print. But if they had, if they had, had a feast, it had been a week long of celebration, what's possible Jacob had been partaking of a little bit too much? Maybe just a little bit too much around the wine. Maybe he was so intoxicated. I mean, he, he just, he, doesn't, he wasn't as perceptive as he could have been, as he should have been. As we look at the journey, it begins with getting the right thing right first, which is getting right with God. It makes sure that you're at the right place with the right people. You've got to ask questions, and he could ask questions here. He could have done the right thing and made sure this was Rachel. He could have made sure he was ready for his wedding night, and I got so caught up in the celebration, he, realized he forgot who he was to celebrate, which is the one he loved. Make sure you look under the hood before you... Before you buy. Make sure you, you look under the veil. Make sure you know the person before you marry them. Make sure you, you're ready for that next step. Well, the story goes on. He wakes up and obviously he found out this is not Rachel. He has a conversation with Laban. and says, how did you do this to me? And, and he comes up with a response. Well, you know, in our day, in our culture, we got to make sure we, we marry off the older one before we marry the younger one. And, and so I had to do this. And he said, I'll, I'll give you Rachel. Okay. Work for me for seven more years and I'll give you Rachel. And I'll give her to you right now. And so the relationship happens where now he doesn't have one wife. He has what? Two wives. Now, some of you, do you ever struggle sometimes reading the Old Testament? And you say, well, I know God says we're only supposed to have one spouse, but it seems like they had quite a few. Anybody ever struggle with that? And you say, why didn't God stop that? Well, we could ask that question all the time. Why doesn't God stop a lot of things? Sometimes the only way we can learn things is the hard way. All right? And God is still in control, and he can take our mess and still make it work. But if you look at those who had multiple wives, it never turned out well. There was always friction. And what we have here in the rest of the story is you see... Uh, these two fighting with each other. And it's quite possible they were in competition through all their life. Rachel was the beautiful one, and Leah was more, the more homely one. And, and we live in a culture just like probably every culture and time, generation before, is that often we equate beauty, whatever beauty is defined during that time, and we know now thin is in, but it used to be fat was where it was at. You know, if you look at that, I mean, you look back at old, I mean, they're, what we would consider models now would not be considered models now. They would just say, hey, man, eat a meal, all right? But whatever it might be, whatever, wherever beauty is, is we think those are the people that are most blessed. But as we look at this kind of this simple observation, beautiful, the beautiful are not always the most blessed. Basically, what happened, let, let, let's read part of the story here. That Jacob did so and fulfilled his week. 
gave his daughter Rachel as wife also, and Laban gave his maid as well. Then, then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And here again, we see God is in the control, even in the midst of the mess. And that what God did is he blessed Leah more than he blessed Rachel. Basically what happens through a variety of ways, and you can read through the text more carefully this week. But Leah gets the first litter. She gives four sons. After each son, he says, now he'll love me more. Now he'll accept me. Now he'll spend more time with me. And there was a struggle with that. And in many ways, it's quite possible she got more time because she was producing more children. And what do you think the response of of Rachel was? (laughs) She responded with envy. Even if you were loved and favored, and she was, envy can kill you. Look at uh, the last verse. We already know that she was loved more in uh, chapter 29, verse 30. But look at 1 and 2 in chapter 30. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I what? I die. Now, how would you like to live with a woman like that? All right. Where she said, if I don't get children, I, I just don't want to live anymore. And basically what she's doing, she's putting the blame on whom? On Jacob. Well, Jacob gets ticked off and he says, and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and said, am I in the place of God? Who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? I mean, he knew a little bit about biology. Obviously, the problem was not with him. He could give children. The problem had to be with her. And so he recognized it was God who was the one who would open up her womb or not her womb. But what I want to focus on was that that little word envy. She envied her sister. Now, envy is one of the more acceptable sins in amongst God's people. Some of it, sometimes it's so internal, it doesn't always burst out in action immediately. But the Bible, and God particularly, is not too impressed with people who live a life of envy. The word envy, basically, there are two ways the word envy can be translated. Sometimes it can be just simply translated zealous or desiring something passionately. And you can desire something passionately that is good for you or good for somebody else. But it's also translated, and usually it's the word envy, and that intense desire within you that rests your happiness and your joy on something someone has or is able to do that you don't have or you're not able to do, at least presently. And it reaches the level where you're so desirous of that is if you can't have it, you don't want what? Them to have it. Uh, turn your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're running out of time. James chapter 3. If you want to have an interesting study sometime, just look up every passage that's translated envy or envious uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Look at, look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Don't, don't brag about your envy. 
Uh, Verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. When we are filled with a desire intensely to have something or that someone has or is able to do, and our happiness is dependent upon that so much that we want them not to have it so that we don't have to look at it, that kind of desire does not come from above. It comes from below. It's demonic. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, when we're controlled by self-interest, he goes on and says this, confusion, and listen to this last phrase, and every evil thing are there. It seems like James, half-brother of Jesus, recording the words inspired by the Holy Spirit to him, saying, you can trace every evil back to a desire in the heart that's envious of what others have. And what happened in this relationship, in which there were two now in the household, and later on they were going to add their, their maids, and there were going to be four women in the experience. Envy and jealousy and bitterness and anger was spread throughout. And so as we think about the journey that we're on, you know, getting it right with God, getting it right, being sure we're in the right place with the right people, getting it right even when we're getting it right, understanding things are going to go wrong, that God is still in control. We need to attack those things in our life that we become so, so intensely desirous of that we don't live out that first worship song that we sang this morning. Is God more than enough for you? Are, are you pursuing, am I pursuing this world for my fulfillment, for my desire, something beyond the giver? And I'm resting on what others have. I was afraid I was going to do that this morning. As you go on in this story, it's interesting. God blesses them and gives them children uh, up to the point where they have 12 sons. God eventually opens up Rachel's womb. Uh, he gives birth, she gives birth uh, with Jacob to Joseph, the one who is going to be the one that delivers them out from the famine. And we're going to see that story in days to come. But as I, as I talked about that, that the more beautiful or not, the more blessed. As we think through the line of the Messiah, it, it did not come through Rachel. It came through Leah. Judah was born to Leah, not to Rachel. And as we think about how God does things, God, God has his own timing. He, he waited an extended period of time before he opened the womb of Rachel. And some of the things that, that we long for, well, what God is saying to just wait. Just wait. And as we, then as we think as, as Jacob encounters Laban, and, and now it's time for him to go back to the promised land, to go back to the Palestine, go back to the place where, where God was going to fulfill the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. Is the one who had deceived before he had come to the land of his forefathers was now going to experience deception. He'd already experienced it in terms of, the, of Leah and Rachel. And now they're all trying to manipulate each other. It's a fascinating story trying to figure out all the details of it. 
But it is a true statement that even deceivers can be deceived. You know, it goes around, comes around, comes around. It's kind of like the law of retaliation is that, is that you're going to get what you've been given. You're going to get what you've given out. What, what, you, what, you're sow, what you sow is what you're going to reap. But even in the midst of that, that, that God is still in control. And in the midst of all the things that happen in the 30th chapter is that God is the one who can give prosperity. And at the end of this, we see right before he leaves, look at the last verse in, in chapter 30. It says, thus the man, this is Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female male servants, and camels and donkeys. This person who basically came in with nothing into the, the place where Laban ruled, left prosperous because of the hand of God. What's the point I want to leave us with this morning? Uh, are you on the right journey? Have you got the first step right? Are, are you... Are you, are you sure you're right with God? As, as God knocks on your door, the door of your heart and life, as he reveals himself to you, have you opened that door to him? And, and then as you go through life, are, are you in the right place? Are you doing life with the right people? That's why we have life groups, so that we can share God's word together. Are you living with people that you love so much, it just, it just makes life so much fuller? As you go on the right journey, are you well aware that even if you're on the right journey, wrong things are going to happen? Something's way out of your control. But even in the midst of that, that God is still in control. As Moses wrote back all the things that happened before they had taken their journey in the wilderness to the promised land. He said, God has always had his hand in making sure... Ultimately, the right things happen so that people can know him. Let's pray. Father, some of this week, we have to to have an honest conversation with you and just saying, are there some things in our life that, that we are tying our happiness to you, that's happiness in life more than really knowing you? Are there some people in our life that, that we need to, to make sure that we're doing right life with so that we're on the right journey and, and doing the right thing? Are, are we aware that as we think about life, that life doesn't always happen according to our agenda or even in our time, but that you are ultimately in control? Father, well, I just really pray as we continue to, to worship you through our giving and through, through our worship and song that, that we might be more fully connected to you because we want to put you first. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.